Let's prepare ourselves to hear a word from the Lord Almighty. May our ears and hearts be receptive to hearing God speak to us today. And this morning we shall use as our spiritual backdrop James chapter 1 verses 9 through 12. And our message today will primarily focus on verse 9. Today's message is entitled the haves and the have-nots. The haves and the haves-nots. It's a dangerous thing to base our security, our happiness on externals. Amen, amen, amen. Since many of the saints to whom James was writing were facing persecution, many of the Christians who were lacking in material possessions were having their faith shaken. James' goal was to encourage the believers to demonstrate faith in a time where material possessions were few. John Calvin once stated, the human heart is an idle factory. Our hearts long for contentment and joy. We are prone to search everywhere for them, everywhere that is, except in our Lord. As we delve into verse 9, we will be challenged to question ourselves, is our joy, is our happiness dependent upon our material possessions? So this is going to be one of those messages that you probably won't shout, you probably won't tap your foot, but if you listen, I truly believe it will be a blessing and in many cases a deliverance from where we are today. Amen. So today we're going to address the haves. In two weeks we'll address the have-nots. So more than likely you're going to be in one of these two categories. The haves. The Bible says, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position." The English Standard Version and the New King James Version says the lowly brother, the New Living Translation, believers who are poor. The King James says the brother of low degree. They're all talking about the situation of lacking. The Bible is filled with paradoxes. A paradox has been defined as a statement that seems contradictory, and yet it is true or is true if properly analyzed. G.K. Chesterton said, a paradox is truth standing on its head, shouting for attention. It appears so crazy that we must pay attention. So what are some of the biblical paradoxes that we have in the scriptures? We have 2 Corinthians 12.10. When I am weak, then I am strong. Well, we sit there and say, well, how can I be weak, and then how can I be strong? Matthew 10.39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 20, 16, the last will be first. 2 Corinthians 6, 10, as having nothing yet possessing all things. So when you hear these paradoxes, when you hear it, it doesn't seem like it makes any sense, but when you begin to take time and you begin to resonate in it, when you begin to spend time thinking about it, you say there's nothing but truth in it. I like that one of the Apostle Paul is having nothing yet possessing all things. James is continuing his teaching on trials. 
James uses two extremes, the brother of humble circumstances and the rich brother. Now, most of us right away would say, I want to be the rich one. I don't want to be the humble one. But you remember that verse read this way. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. So some of us, when we read that, when we heard that, you said, wait a minute, how can I be in a high position and be in humble circumstances? How can I be in a high position and be poor? How can I be in a high position and lack? There's going to be some breakthroughs. James teaches us that when we respond to our trials with a godly perspective, we shall rejoice in our humble circumstances. Our perspective of our trials affects our joy or lack of joy. So remember, this verse 9 is not just off by itself. It's still dealing with trial. He already told you what we're supposed to have in trial, joy. He's already told about being mature. That's the reason why God's got in there. Had you ever thought your humble circumstances are given to you so that you may mature in Christ? Or did you see it as a curse, something that you were constantly praying to get out of? Because it all has to do with your perspective. Myopia, myopia is a technical term for what is commonly known as nearsighted. People who are nearsighted only can see what's near or close to them. Their range of vision is limited. Some of us older people remember Mr. Magoo, and Mr. Magoo would always be driving around and couldn't see more than, than a lick. And he was always somebody who didn't have any accidents, but he caused so many all the time. They need glasses to see things farther away due to their myopia. So I'm nearsighted. I can see close. I can read from a book. But you start getting the distance, everything begins to become cloudy, out of focus. This same medical terminology has been used in the broader context of life to describe people who are short-sighted people who don't see the context of life. To describe people who are short-sighted, they don't see the big picture in life. These folks tend to live for the moment, making choices that benefit them right now. They live their lives existing only for this life. So a lot of us didn't know we had myopia, and now you're finding out you got myopia because the only thing you're living for is this life. Your decisions are based on a very limited perspective. How is this going to benefit me right now? How is this going to bless me right now? And you cannot see any further than the next day. So that's why many believers, when you begin to talk to them, say, I'm living day by day. God never expected us to live day by day with a perspective of day by day. However, children of the Most High God are to have an eternal perspective. From me to God. See, if my, my focus is still about me, myself, and I, the focus and the perspective and the view is short-sighted. Some of us love us some me. And the world constantly keeps teaching you, love you some me. You would all heard the lie of the world. You can't love somebody else unless you love yourself. Really? And then as believers, we go over running right behind it. Yeah, that's right, that's right. I can't love nobody if I don't love myself. So I got to spend time on me. I got to have some me time. And you know what ends up happening? Me time becomes more and more. And God time becomes less and less. Hmm. So this eternal perspective is not focusing on the temporal, but the eternal. 
James teaches us today that when we respond to our trials with an internal, eternal perspective, our trials of humble circumstances will result in rejoicing in the Lord. Mm. So God is saying, if you have a trial, and that trial may be financial, it may be that you are in humble circumstances, it may be that you don't have everything that you want. If I have an eternal perspective, I will even rejoice to the Lord and in the Lord during my humble circumstances. My prayer is not automatically going to be, God, get me out of this. Why can't I be like the halves? Uh-oh. Uh-oh, uh-oh. The poor, the saint in the humble circumstances is to glory, is to rejoice in his high position, boast in their exaltation. Part of godly wisdom is for saints of God to have and live by an eternal perspective, which has no room for doubt, no room for double-mindedness. Uh-oh. It has been said, Life is short. Eternity is long. It is only reasonable that this short life be lived in light of eternity. But how many of us live our Christian lives in light of eternity? We ain't talking about unbelievers because unbelievers focus is only on the here and now. They don't believe there's anything after the grave. But we who are children of God, who have been chosen by God, we know there's an eternity, so why are we living our life in limited views? James emphasizes that if saints are going to experience the life God wants us to know here and now, we must learn to live in, the, in light of eternity, to look past our status in the world and focus on our status in Jesus Christ. Mm -mm, mm -mm. See, this ain't going to sell because this ain't what's being taught and preached in our churches. Eternity should make a difference in the life of the Christian. But when we begin to look at our lives, how many of us is our eternity affecting the way we live now? Or is our means affecting our way of living? So some of us say, well, I can't give, I can't do this. God, why? Because I don't have nothing. Hmm. One day a man was talking to an angel. The angel said, what can I do for you? The man said, show me the Wall Street Journal one year from today. This way I will know where to invest and will become a multimillionaire. The angel snapped his finger and out came a Wall Street Journal marked one year in advance of the date when they were talking. The man flipped the pages of the newspaper, studying the listings, observing which stocks would be high, which ones would be low. But in the midst of his joy, a frown came upon his face, and tears began to roll down his eyes. Because when he looked over on the next page, he saw his face. His picture was in the paper under the obituary column. You see, this life can only offer you so much. Unless you live now in a light of eternity, you are going to waste time focusing on the things of this earth. Enjoy your life, but as a Christian, focus on the things that matter to God. 
So, you know, you'll have somebody go to the other stream. Well, see, Pastor Denny, they're saying we ain't supposed to be having no fun on the earth. He just wants to be born like him. Okay, okay, well, <laughs> be born like me, okay? <laughs> be born like me. I remember one of my kids one time said, you just like a robot. I said, well, I'll take that as flattery. I do try to be consistent in my walk with the Lord. I do try to follow what he tells me to do. So if that's your definition of a robot, thank you for Living in light of eternity is essential because it will keep us from despair. Living in the light of eternity and having an eternal perspective, you won't worry as much as you do. I like the way one person put it. They said, worrying is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. We're sitting there and we're looking and we're saying, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that. And then we're not worried about the things of God. We're worrying about I don't have this or that because that would make me happy. And God is saying, don't I make you happy? How many of us, if we were dating and we were going to get married, we were going to walk down the aisle, and the first couple of months, you were looking at each other's eyes and say, you are my everything, you make me happy, you do this, blah, blah, blah. What if the person started telling you on the third month, I need another girlfriend, I need another boyfriend, because they make me happy. And now we've been talking about making cakes and butcher knives and stuff, so we don't want you to start having a butcher knife ready to chase your spouse because he done told you he loves somebody else. That somebody else brings them happiness. But is that not what we're telling God when we tell him he's not enough to make me happy? That we need something of this world to complete us? He says, there they go off committing idolatry. There they go off a whoring again. They're going to the world to get happiness and peace, and I'm the one that gives them happiness and peace. Humble circumstances. Do not refer merely to not having as much money as others. It also encompasses those who are lower on the social ladder, and usually those on the social ladder are the ones who have less money. It would include those who, are, who were discarded by the world. You got to remember when James is talking to these saints, these saints had been many times kicked out and exiled from their cities. And when they left, they did not leave like they did in the Old Testament when they got to bring all their possessions with them. They left their possessions behind. So that's you now leaving Chicago Heights, leaving Country Clubs Hill, leaving Homewood, leaving Flossmoor, leaving Park Forest, leaving wherever you are, and you got to leave out of your house and you bring nothing with you. And you got to keep going through another city, through another city, because many of the people don't want you there. Why? Because you are a Christian. And some of these people might have been very knowledgeable, may have had many possessions, and now they have nothing materialistically. Despair overwhelms those in humble circumstances, the have-nots. Well, saints suffering with have-not perspective usually have some of these symptoms. One, they allow circumstances to dull, numb, or destroy their spirit and joy in life. 
They walk around like zombies. They walk around like they're sucking on lemons because they don't have the material possessions they think they should have or deserve or want to have. So they are like miserable Christians walking around. Two, they become bitter against those who have more mm -mm, and seek to take some of what they have. That might be income redistribution. <laughs> Why do they have all that? I should have some of that. Give me some of that or I will take some of that. Because if I had some of what they have, I'd be so much more happier. Hmm. Three, develop a sense of inferiority and inadequacy and take on a victim mentality. I'm inferior because I have less material possessions. I'm inferior because I have less of something of this world. See, I was brought up in a house Father loved them, loved my mom. They taught me things not always biblical. But one thing that they taught me was that any room you go into, you have no reason to ever feel inferior. So I'm just stupid enough to walk into a room with all people got PhDs or I walk in a room with millionaires. I'm not now starting to. I gotta, go, I gotta go buy an outfit. Can't afford it. I gotta go buy an outfit because I'm gonna be around a lot of rich people and I don't wanna feel inferior to them. I'll be in the room with the rich people with a hole in my socks and it don't bother me one bit. Because <laughs> I'm not inferior. I'm not saying I'm better than you, but I'm not saying I'm inferior to you. You have some things I don't have. You may have some talents I don't have. That does not make me feel inferior. And the sad thing is, believers are inferior to unbelievers. And God is saying, they must not have read James. But you guys are glad you're here today because you're going to leave here saying, I ain't got no reason. Why? Because the Bible says we are to glory in our high position. Uh-oh. So see, if you were saying, man, I hope I ain't one of the have-nots, now I'm going to talk a little while and you find out you are a have-not. Now you still ain't got to leave here with your head down. You still ain't got to leave here thinking I'm inferior. I don't have to start thinking I got to take some from the have so I can be on the same level with them because I'm not on the same level with them if they're an unbeliever. I am higher than they are. By focusing on our high position, glorying and rejoicing that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Amen, amen, amen. A poor man who recognizes his high position of being in Christ rejoices in the possessions of real value because they last for eternity. He is wealthy beyond his present circumstances. The problem is believers don't believe that. So he just told us the last week about doubting. We read it and we doubt it. God just told you, I got you in a higher position. The things I've given you is way more better than anything you can have temporal. We read it 
And then as soon as the money run low, <laughs> we go right back to not rejoicing. We go right back to envying and being jealous and want something that other people have. Because we truly don't believe that being in Christ is the best thing we can be in. Being in Christ exalts us to a high position. Being in Christ means right now I am a citizen of heaven. I ain't worried about being a citizen of Park Ford. I ain't worried about was I born in Mississippi. I could care less. Why am I focusing on Mississippi when I'm up here in heaven? But as long as your mind is still focused on where I come from, where I come from, you're going to forget where you are right now. And you're not going to value where you are right now. Because to be honest, we don't see it as valuable being in Christ. Mm. The brother or sister who lacks wealth on earth will find unimaginable wealth in his Savior. More than earthly generational wealth, but eternal wealth. See, we still as believers saying we want to have generational wealth so we can pass it down to our kids. I could care less what I pass down to Monty Bright. Care less. What I do care is that they understood the relationship I had with Jesus Christ, how I walked with God, how I was obedient to God, and when I wasn't obedient, how I confessed my disobedience to God. I'm worried about passing that down to them. Because if I now start thinking about, well, I want to pass down money to them, now you violate maybe the haves and the have-nots. Because now this little child might be saying, Man, like Monty and Bryce did when they saw how much my insurance was. Sorry, looking at me funny. <laughs> then they started looking at Wanda funny because Wanda's the primary, and they said, we understand what secondary means. That means mommy got to go too. <laughs> so now you're going to set your kid up to now. He's got to be smart enough and mature enough in the Lord not to allow that money to become a trap. Because now they may put their confidence in the money and not in the Lord. Mm. The brother or sister who's in Christ and understands the high position that they have. The brother or sister in Christ who has that eternal perspective. They will be given certain things by God. One is comforted or comfort by God's presence. Now, some people don't value that until they go through. When they go through, a large bank account don't mean anything when the trial is whooping your tail. But then when I know God is with me, mm, you can't put no price tag on that. I know God is with me. I know his presence is with me. But not only his presence is with me, but his power is with me. Mm, 
This trial can look horrendous. This trial can look like it's going to take me and beat me and defeat me. But then I remember, this is just a temporary condition I'm in now. There's an eternal perspective that I got to have in my mind. And I remember who I am, whose I am, because I'm in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, mm, weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. I know my God tells me if I keep my mind stayed on him, he will give me perfect peace. He didn't say half peace. He said perfect peace. But I got to keep remembering, God, you are present. God, you are powerful. And God, you got a plan for me. But if I don't have the eternal perspective, these things mean nothing to you. You don't see yourself in a high position when you're going through. You don't see yourself in a high position when the phone keeps ringing, you're afraid to pick it up because you know what somebody's saying. We ain't got the check yet this month. If you ain't got that knowledge of who you are, when that boss comes and says, sorry, we got to let you go, your world come trembling down. So I told people when I first came and they were looking at me like I was crazy and stuff. I said, I'm glad to be at South Suburban. And I said, I don't believe and I know that the members can vote me out anytime they want to. That's where you guys are supposed to say, heaven forbid. But they can vote me out anytime they want to. But you ain't got the power over God's plan. Because if he closes one door, my God's going to open up another door. And the door that he opens up is going to be better than the door I was in. Well, what if that would be the thing that happened? I ain't, I ain't speaking this into existence. What if you got a pink slip tomorrow and you told your boss, thank you? I said, you said thank you. Did you not hear me? I, I don't, are you colorblind? I gave you a pink slip. And you are the mindset. This door has been closed, but my God's got another door he's going to open. You might think you got the power to hire me or fire me. God is the one who's got the power to employ me or not employ me. But because we're not of that mindset, when that news hit us, we toss to and fro. We have shipwrecked faith when it comes to those times because we don't have the right perspective. We got an earthly perspective and sometimes a worldly perspective. In essence, James is saying, don't worry if you don't have a lot of riches. Be proud of who you are in Jesus Christ, what you have, and not what you don't have. Because mm. see, that one translation says glory in your high position. Another one says rejoice. So he's telling you, you're in a high position whether you know it or not or whether you believe it or not. Don't mumble and complain all the way through it. And then you get to heaven you say, God, I, I did a good job. He said, no, you didn't. You didn't rejoice. You didn't glory in that humble circumstances. You complained. You cried. You tried to maneuver any way you could get out. So don't come telling me you rejoiced. Don't come here telling me you gloried in it. You did everything you thought you could do to get out of it. Income tax come. 
How can I cheat to get some more money back? Bootleg stuff. I'm going to hit a home a lot of you guys. Bootleg stuff. You know the movie's still at the theater. JoJo's at the corner. Got to take $5, $5. And then we start rationalizing, well, my, my family deserves the opportunity to see movies. We ain't got the money. They should be able to see it. It's so bad. I, I remember when, what was the movie? Uh, the one that's in subtitles, um, Passion of Christ. You got folks bootlegging the Passion of Christ. Every time I see a, a screening of movies that come out before they come out. So I'm in this little organization. They send pastors invitation to see Christian movies before they come out so we can tell our congregation uh, what we saw. Even the invitation they sent out to ministry leaders and pastors. Somebody walks out before the movie comes out. We hope you enjoy tonight, tonight's movie. Please do not use any video cameras to tape this movie. Now, you're talking to pastors and ministry leaders. This is what we're dealing with with believers. Because we will justify doing things because we're saying we don't deserve to be in these humble circumstances. As I close, there was a grandfather clock that had a nervous breakdown. This clock was ticking away two ticks to the second, just like any good clock should do. When he began to think about how many times it was going to have to tick during its lifetime, it got depressed. Two ticks to the second means 120 ticks per minute, he thought. That's 7,200 ticks per hour. That's 172,800 ticks per day. That's 1,209,600 ticks per week. For 52 weeks, that's 62,899,200 ticks per year. You'd be depressed too, right? So upon completing his calculation, the clock immediately had this nervous breakdown. He was taken to see a psychiatrist who adjusted his springs as well as he could, then asked what seemed to be the trouble. The clock said, oh, doctor, I have to tick so much, he began to go over all the numbers, and the psychiatrist said, stop. How many ticks do you have to tick at a time? He says, oh, I just have to tick one tick at a time, said the grandfather clock. Then let me suggest that you go home and do just that. Just take life one tick at a time. Amen. Likewise, James is telling the saints facing trials, we need to learn the lesson. We need to take life one day at a time, not thinking about what we don't have, but thanking God for what we do have. Mm. We will worry ourselves till we have ulcers, till we have gray hair, no hair. And God is saying, you are focusing on what you have to do instead of focusing on what has been done for you. We fall into this trap of the have not mentality. 
And many of us don't know how to get out. Many of us, this is one generation after another. Your parents, your grandparents, maybe your great-grandparents have always had this mindset of being a victim, of being inferior, or being not good enough, of not seeing themselves in a high position with Christ. See, it used to be back in the history, African-American history, they used to love to come to church on Sunday. Not always because they understood the scripture, but on Sunday, what did they get to do? They got to wear their best clothes. This person who had worked 40, 50 hours had been called boy and he's 50 years old. Now he's hearing sir. He's hearing deacon. He's hearing pastor. But see, don't get caught up in that. Because being called sir, wearing nice clothes, is not where you're supposed to get your happiness from. My happiness is who I am in Christ. My joy is who I am in Christ. My peace is who I am in Christ. My comfort is who I am in Christ. And as soon as I put something or someone else in that position, you are setting yourself up for a spiritual breakdown. Because sooner or later, you're going to be not having something you think you need. Sooner or later, you're going to be judging yourself based on what somebody else has and sooner or later, sadly, you will be saying, I wish I were like them. And them are unbelievers. Have you ever watched something, heard something, and was jealous or envious of what they had? And they were unbelievers? I wish I could have a nice car like them. I wish I could have a nice house like them. I wish I could have clothes like them. And you never even thought about the spiritual aspect because you ain't thinking spiritually. You're thinking straight out of your flesh. And they should be looking at us and saying, I envy you because how can you be smiling when you just got fired like I did? Then you say, I'm glad you asked because I know a man and his name is Jesus. I know a man who died for my sin. I know a man who's building a mansion just for me. I know a man that has already given me access to the kingdom and power of God. I know a man that I am no longer condemned, but I've been set free. And I'm free in Christ. Until we get that mindset, going to be a lot of spiritual breakdowns in the body of Christ because our perspectives are wrong, our focus is wrong, and our identity and who we are is based on worldly things. Do you really think you are in a high position, even if you fall in this class of humble circumstance? Told you at the beginning that was going to be the question I'm going to have for you. I ain't got that old yet that I forgot the question I asked for you yet. So give me a few years and you'll be in good shape because I'll be like, what was that question again? But I'm in humble circumstances, but I'm rejoicing in my humble circumstances because I know of the high position I have with you, God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, as we look at one aspect of James 1, 9 through 12. 
we all probably want to run straight to the haves, but you didn't start with the haves. You started with the have-nots. And you knew you needed to teach the have-nots because it's so easy to be tempted to not rejoice and glory in the high position that you placed us in. We didn't earn them, we received them by grace. We talk about your grace all the time, but have we ever thought about your grace allowing us to be in humble circumstances? We normally think of your grace and your mercy is that you've delivered us from those poor little humble circumstances and you've raised us up to high positions financially. But your word does not teach that. Your word says we are to rejoice in you and the high positions that you've given us. I thank you, Lord, for allowing us to travel through this book. I thank you, Lord, for what you're teaching me as I prepare these messages. And I thank you, Lord, for what I'm able to share with your sons and daughters here today. And I pray that we allow these words to resonate in our hearts, that we don't just hear it, but we begin to live like the high positions that we have been given by you and that we don't focus on what we don't have, but we focus on what we do have with you. And that is everything we need to be victorious. We thank you, we praise you, and we say these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.